Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs, and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to another episode. So stoked to have you with me. And man, this week, I'm, uh, I always say I'm excited. I, I need to think of another adjective, uh, but I'm really, really excited because I've been wanting to get together um, with this very, very sweet, very special person who I've gotten to know uh, quite a bit over the year. And I'm looking forward to getting to know more with our time together on the show. Her name's Beth Davis. Uh, Beth is spelled B-A-E-T-H. I want to talk about her uniqueness. She's the palm pilot of the soul for your business and an intuitive business catalyst uh, she's been helping spirit-rich entrepreneurs build six- and seven-figure businesses that are both purposeful, purposeful, full of purpose, and profitable. So a genius business coach. I've watched her and known her name over the years, actually for many years. Um, someone I've, I've looked up to in, in my business as well. Um, she's been doing this for nearly 19 years, two decades best on this. She's also won over a decade ago, which means she's been in this for a while. She won the coveted Glazier Kennedy Info Marketer of the Year Award, Dan Kennedy. Um, she's been featured in Cosmopolitan, Women's World, LA Times. She's been on NPR Radio, Radio Europe, BBC Five. You've seen her on network TV. She presents uh, her work at nationwide conferences and seminars. She's even been a featured guest on Lifetime Television's Head to Toe. Um, man, she has been there, done that. She's in Los Angeles, California, and coming all the way from the West Coast. So stoked to have you. Beth Davis, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, Matt. I'm great. Hi. Thanks Hi. for the intro. Hey, you wrote it. I read it, but I'm really, uh, <laughs> really excited because, man, you, you, you do so many different things, but yet at the same time, there's this core like plumb line of who you are and what you're about. And the main thing is you're about this business growth in a, in a purposeful way. Um, first question I have for you that I, I'm always so curious, what were you like growing up? You've done so much. You've made all this money. You've been kind of all over and we're sharing those, those journeys. A lot of us entrepreneurs, you know, we, we're building up the, the credibility, right? And you've done that for quite a long time. What were you like as a little girl? Did you always want to be an entrepreneur running a business or was this something that you kind of fell into? Did you have lemonade stands at five years old? Like what, what, what were you like early young Beth? That's a great question. It's a bit of a hybrid. I was certainly a nerd. I always did well in school. I still love to read. I am a voracious reader. I have boxes of books and storage labeled by category. I have bookshelves filled with books. I have books on my Kindle. I've always been a nerd. And I always liked having my own money. The first business I remember was putting on puppet shows in my friend's awesome attic. She lived in this antique house, you know, the kind big basement and then three stories of rooms and then an attic. And it sat up on a hill that overlooked the town. She had this terrific attic that was basically her playroom. And we would do puppet shows there. And I think we charged maybe 25 cents a ticket. Reasonable. Oh, and that's when, what was that? That's reasonable. Now, was that the full pay price or? That was the full that, pay. Okay. That was the full pay price. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you bought more than, more than one ticket, it's 20 cents. So we did puppet shows. And then I started a window washing business. 
when I was about 10 or 11, and that was 10 bucks a window. And I also babysat, and it was five bucks a kid per hour. Five bucks a kid per hour. And I negotiated that when I was 12. Uh, and then I moved on to burger flipping. Uh, and I also worked as a prep cook at the local gym. It was kind of a fancy gym, like uh, the, the, the equinox of its day in our, in our local town. It was actually a really nice gym. They had a restaurant and a bar and a squash courts and swimming pool, hot tub, all that, different kinds of classes. And I did the prep cooking there. Memories are coming back to me. And then I also did cleaning there. And I think that was the most humbling job was seeing how people treat bathrooms that they don't own. Oh, nothing disgusting. better. So it was disgusting. Up, was there like, how was your family? What was it well off enough? Or did you like, I'm always so curious, what prompted, do you think like internally that drive a little kid has to, to say, you know what, I want to go make some money. And I'm working this, I have a seven-year-old son, Val, and I always work on his own motivation, right? Versus me saying, hey, you know, do some work for me and I'll pay you. I want to like see what kindles that fire inside to come up with the idea on your own. Is this something that you always kept coming up with ideas? And I wonder why? Freedom. It was freedom for me. Uh, I grew up upper middle class. I, I grew up very privileged, actually. My father was a, a computer engineer just as computers were starting to really take off. He went to Dartmouth and worked in those big rooms filled with the big giant computer towers. Uh, they were one of the first computer labs. So he got training on the first computer labs in the country uh, and then went on to work for Sweetheart Plastics and Xerox and IBM and the US Postal Service uh, doing uh, high, high level programming. So he, he's a nerd. Uh, by his own admission, Brainiac, and that paid well then and it pays well now. So he made a very good living doing that. My mom also worked. Uh, she was a nurse, a hospital nurse, and then she became the school nurse, which was a job she had for 27 years before she retired. So it was kind of fun going to high school because my mom was a school nurse and I could get a pass and go take a nap in the nurse's office, which I would do on my study break. I'd go nap. It was great. So uh, it was pretty. It was a pretty sweet existence in terms of opportunity. Um, I, yeah, I had a scholarship to multiple colleges. I had my aunt never had any children, so she helped pay for my Ivy League college education. I went to Dartmouth. My parents wisely made me get a student loan, which I'm really glad they did. I think the student loan was maybe twenty seven thousand. So at what? that time, that was maybe one year of school. And why was that yeah. wise? Because it made me value that education in a different way. They said, we're not paying for all of it. You're going to pay for a quarter of it because you need to understand that this money didn't just fall out of the sky. This is the result of people earning the money and then investing it wisely. Um, and you've been given an extraordinary privilege and you have a responsibility to understand that privilege. And when you um, come out of it, if you choose not to do something with the education, it, you can watch the effect directly. Exactly. Not just, That's well, right. you know, I didn't want to do it. That's right. So I had the loan paid off by the age of 27 or whatever, whatever it was, because it was like 300 or 400 bucks a month, however that worked out. Um, and in my 20s, I made very little money. It's almost like I forgot how to be an entrepreneur. And I moved out to LA and I, I got a job. I figured, well, I'm an adult now, I should get a job. And I had really good job offers coming out of Dartmouth. None of them really appealed to me. I had started out as a 
economics major and I was going to go to Wall Street and, and work for Goldman Sachs. And I had an opportunity to do that. Then I came out to LA and I had an opportunity to work at William Morris as a, and to train to be an agent. And I got hired and they start you in the mailroom and I didn't take that opportunity. Then I got a sales opportunity, I think of Variety Magazine. And I kept saying no to these opportunities because I felt Deep within me, there was something I was being called to do. And the adults in my life, or people twice my age, people my, the, the, who, are, who were the age I am now, <laughs> were saying to me- the, the elderly senior citizens in your life. The senior citizens were saying, Beth, you need to pull it together. You're so smart. You have so much opportunity. What are you doing? You should pick something, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you don't know my inner process. And I worked a bunch of odd jobs. I, bart- I went to bartending school. I became very fast. You know, I went to um, bartending school too. Wasn't it fun? It was a blast. It was a blast. I got very good at like doing the Tom Cruise, throw the bottle in the air. And yeah, I, I won. I'm very competitive. Uh, I was a competitive swimmer. <laughs> I was a competitive rower. I was a track athlete. I, I really love to compete. And, and people will sometimes turn to me like, you're so competitive. I'm like, just with myself. I mean, not with really with other people. I'm always trying to best my own time. Um, but a competitive uh, bartender as well. Competitive bartender. I, I wanted to win the prize, whatever the prize was. I don't remember. I mean, maybe they gave us a bottle of scotch. I don't even remember, but I don't think they could. We won some kind of prize. But I got really fast at making drinks. And so I had a bartending job, a bookkeeping job, and a secretarial uh, job. And I had these three jobs going and I had two roommates here in LA and I was pursuing acting because that's really what I wanted to do. And I actually did okay. I start, I got an agent. I started to book some extra parts and then I managed to get my Screen Actors Guild membership, which is now inactive, but I could activate it again. Uh, and I, that was the route I was going. And then about age 25, 26, I realized, oh, I don't really like this acting thing. What am I gonna do? Uh, and that's when my my quest began, and I began traveling. I went to India and Nepal. Um, I traveled. I drove cross country by myself many times. I would just get in my car and drive, and then you know tell people, "Oh, I'm in Kansas." Uh, and I just I love my freedom. I, my freedom is everything, and I wanted to experience the world on my own terms without trying to follow anybody else's guidelines and really find that inner authority, that inner guidance. Um, And it eventually led me to getting my hands read, which, you know, I, I was very skeptical about. And, uh, but I was super bored and a friend said, oh, you should do this. It's not predictive. And it wasn't, it was a personality profile reading. And the woman said, yeah, palm reading, palm reading, get your palms read, right? Get your palms read. So, I thought, well, it's on my own physical body. It would make sense to me that nature would put a map to our lives in our own hands. What a concept. And that's what I discovered ultimately in that hand reading and then subsequently learning that system, which took me about three years. And I now teach. It's an intensive data-driven system. And it takes a student a good three years just to understand the data, never mind excelling at the data. It's pretty involved. I was so blown away. I thought, oh my goodness, I've got to learn this and I've got to fulfill what I discovered. And in that reading, Matt, I was told what my purpose on the planet is. And uh, the woman said to me, your purpose is to be essentially a spiritual guide for other people. And I said, I don't know what that is. And she said, well, 
you know how you've been looking for your purpose and been lost? I said, oh, yeah. She said, well, there's lots of people looking for their purpose and they feel very lost. And you have the capacity because of who you are to show them their, their, their path to greatest fulfillment. And I thought, wow, that is the best thing I've ever heard about myself. <laughs> I'm going to believe that. I'm just going to put my energy into helping people figure out their skill sets, their talents, their capabilities, strengthen their strengths, as the saying goes, and assist them as an advocate, as a coach, as a cheerleader to step into that purpose. And ultimately, I believe life is about two primary things. It's about feeling good, really good, feeling good in your body, mind, soul, feeling happy. And two, it's about fulfilling your gifts so you can be of service to others. And when you fulfill your gifts, you receive the, the joy, the personal satisfaction of that, and you become a master. And as you become a master, you're able to serve humanity. And uh, there's no greater feeling that I know of than, than making a difference for other people. But first, you have to make a difference for yourself. You have to know who you are and align with your own greatness, the glory that is within you. I think it's and really interesting, Beth, so, that you, you had said just a moment ago, as you're going through your, your life's history, essentially, the, the oddball jobs especially, uh, one thing I wanted just to touch on and ask you a little more about was your take on, you know, like, so you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes. And as you're going through in the outside world, everybody's looking at you as, hey, why are you struggling? How come you're not living up to your potential? Whatever they might say, right? When you're taking different odd jobs, right. an Ivy, League Ivy League education. In hindsight, you're looking back, and even they probably would too, and saying, wow, all of these things you walked through to, to you wouldn't be able to show people and walk them through purposeful enterprise and life if you, I mean, would you say that's true? If you hadn't had the experience of so much experimentation and, and everything that you went through over the years? Like if you just jumped into Goldman Sachs for 10 years and then you said, you know what? I don't like this job. I'm going to go help people find their purpose. Would it be different? Would your attitude and business be different? Was that something really important or do you have a different take on that? I, I think it would have been quite different. What made me decide to not go to Wall Street is I, I had thought to myself, my thinking was very juvenile thinking. Well, I'm going to make a bunch of money, then I can do what I really want to do. And I thought that is not sound logic. Well, that's that not is juvenile. A, that's the American dream. Well, it's we, really sometimes it's, the American nightmare. It turns it's it doesn't work for people. I've never seen it work, not one time. I have seen some people retire, quote unquote, like they make a bunch of money. They don't really retire though. They make a bunch of money and they figure out how to manage that money so it's growing assets, and then they go do what they want to do. I'm not saying you can't do it that way, but I wasn't willing to sacrifice 10 years of my life in an environment that was way too stressful for my personality. And there's nothing wrong with that industry. I think, I think the stock market is the coolest thing ever. But I, I knew I, that I'm very sensitive to my environment. I get overstimulated easily from loud noises. I like to be left alone when I'm working. I don't do well with interruptions. That's why I work at home. I don't have people 
coming and going. Like I've, I've never had, I only had that, not never. I did have that experience working in an office and I found it very frustrating because I'd get 15 minutes into a project and get interrupted. And studies show that every time you're interrupted, it takes another 15 minutes to fully get into that deep, deep, I don't know if it's theta state or alpha state. I don't know which state it is, but you get into a, a mental state of focus. Uh, and so I knew that early on. I thought, no, that's that that belief system works for some people. It isn't going to work for me. I'm going to have to find my own way. And I will say, doing all those odd jobs, uh, even starting way back as a teenager, you know, I worked in restaurants, and I I did. I was a dishwasher. I was a prep cook in multiple restaurants. They're filthy, tiring, exhausting jobs. You're on your feet 12, 14 hours. You're up and down the stairs. Your hands get raw, even with the gloves on, you know, handling those giant, giant pots, you know, where they cook tons of potatoes and make giant soup and all that. And so I really got very humbled uh, by those experiences. And I, and, I, and I realized I really liked to work. Like I was, I was gung-ho, whether it was dishwashing or bookkeeping, it didn't matter. Um, but it taught me that um, the work isn't, isn't really the issue. Uh, it, it was always about freedom for me. And I liked having my own money because I didn't have to go to my parents and go, hey, can I have some money? I had my own money. I had my own $100 bills as a teenager. I had my own money. I had my own car. And there's so much freedom in that. So that's always been the driver. Even finding my way to the career I've now had 21 plus years or whatever um, was on my own terms. And I think in part, it's my personality. I don't have a big emphasis on security. Security is not a major driver for me. It is for some of my clients. And of course, I can see that in their design. I can, tell, I, I can find out within seconds if, if someone has security as their motivator. And they're going to need to structure their life quite differently. But my life is motivated by desire and freedom. So that's the, biggest, that's the biggest aspect, really, of what I do is how are you wired and then design your life the way you are. Because everything else is propaganda, Matt. Everything's let's, propaganda. Let's talk about that for a second then. Because sure. when, when you talk about design your life the way you're wired, I think for me, one of the, the big questions that I, I think is really fair to answer is how much of that, I'm very curious on your take on this, how much of our, quote, pre-wiring, is there a difference to you first between pre-wiring and like pre-conditioning? How do you yes. look at the difference between those two things? For instance, is, you're pre-wired for security, or are you preconditioned that because you grew up and it was a really hard environment, now you want security, but that's something to grow through, and that's something to change, versus this is who I am? How do you look at pre-wiring versus preconditioning? That is an awesome question. Well, both I'm are true. Both are true in the right context, so I can, I can answer this question. Uh, in addition to now reading hands, I also read human design, which is a map of your specific genetic code, legit your genetic code. And I've also been studying genetics. I'm big into genetics and uh, I've had some health issues. So it's really gotten me into studying nature versus nurture and your genetic code. Your hands are a map of part of your genetic code, obviously. Everybody's hands are different because everybody's genes are different. Your human design, which is another tool I use, actually is a map of your specific gene code key. Um, and this gets imprinted when you're in the womb and it doesn't change. Things can be switched on and off, meaning you can be in the fear frequency of any aspect of yourself or you can be in the transcendent enlightened frequency of any aspect of yourself. 
And there's a huge range between those two extremes, right? Between fear and transcendence. There's a big range of what's possible. Most of humanity hangs out in the fear frequency, which is why we see so much disruption in the world. Because when you operate from fear, you do not make good choices, hard stop. You make bad choices from fear. So we're born with a genetic code. And that genetic code will become more known to us the more conscious our environment and the people in it. So if you live in a beautiful environment, it's a clean environment, you're nurtured, you're held, you're sung to, you're read to, uh, you're, you're eating good food, you're getting enough sunlight, you're drinking clean water, right? the conditions need to be correct, first and foremost, in the environment. And if you look at half the world, they're living in poverty. They don't have correct conditions for success. It right. is very, very difficult. You know, people say, oh, you know, self-made man, he came from the ghetto. Well, how many people get out of the ghetto? 3%. So that's the, that's the conditioning that starts right there from the beginning is the environment. Now, add to that, I came from a very nice environment. However, my parents had their own dysfunctions. They had their points of view. My school, my church, everybody has their point of view. And then you start getting layers of what is called conditioning. And then the conditioning gets laid on you. And depending how open or closed your genetic code is, uh, the more or less conditioning you're going to experience. So some people get more heavily conditioned than others. Um, but the first, the first place that your genes thrive is in the correct environment. Environment so, is so critical. So let's, say that, so let's say I have, and this is not accurate, but the right genes for whatever the application I want to do. I want to start this business and I have kind of a genetic predisposition to whether it's risk or adventure or vision, right. whatever it would be. But I'm growing up in an environment that is stifling that. What do I, what's something I could do? Because I mean, there's people that, this podcast is in a hundred different countries. We have people listening in every potential place. And you know, I don't know where they're getting getting this from. So there might be someone who's in a really, really tough spot. What's kind of like what's the either the approach or the first thing you do to say you know what I know I'm more than my environment but I feel so stuck and there's reality to that right there is reality to what's around you what do you do to sort of harness the power that you do have that's in your code uh, to rise above environment or to change environment well the first thing of course is find out your code you need data you that's need the correct, you need the right map now we're talking so, like when you look at like your code, uh, your genes, your, it, what's in your DNA, the epigenetics, so to speak. Um, you know, when, when I look at like a fingerprint, I'm sure that's got to be a good metaphor um, or actual literal. I mean, every single person has a unique fingerprint. So obviously there's, if you look at every single strand of DNA, if we were able to do that, every human is unique. Well, yeah. And I read fingerprints. I, that's, that's one of the of things it. I do is I identify people's fingerprint patterns and they reveal your life purpose. They reveal your blind spot. Uh, they reveal your major sort of spiritual orientation to life, whether you're more you know, physically oriented, like a more of a yogi, or if you're more of a teacher, uh, all of that's, all of that's right there in, in the design. And Could so why an people, I, I, people don't want to know it, Matt. They don't want to know it. <laughs> and I'll tell you why they don't want to know it. The reason people poo-poo what I do and go, oh, I don't believe in that is they don't believe in themselves. It has nothing to do with, I don't care if people believe in it or not. I know that it works just as sure as the sun rises in the morning. I don't need anyone's encouragement or I don't need their belief in me because I'm a confident person. And 
I don't even really care why half the time. If it works and it doesn't harm anybody, we're good. The issue is that the majority of people do not want to take 100% responsibility for their lives. And I mean everything. The poverty in your life, the riches in your life, the friends that you keep, the illnesses that you get. You've got to take 100% responsibility for all of it in order to do anything different. And knowing who you are now means like the jig is up. Like I can't, I can run, but I can't hide. Yeah. You can't bury your head in the sand and pretend you're someone that you're not. That's right. And lean into who you are. We're talking with Beth Davis as we're, we're kind of going to be winding down a little bit. You can follow Beth at Facebook at Innovative Visionary Summit. We'll talk about whatever conference is coming up. Facebook slash Innovative Visionary Summit and her Instagram at Beth Davis. Again, it's B-A-E. T-H, B-A-E-T-H, Davis, like Davis. And you can follow her at Beth.com, B-A-E-T-H.com. Uh, if you want to chat with her or find out about this, she actually does strategy calls and sessions uh, to align to your design, how you're designed, pretty cool stuff. Um, so I'm assuming, Beth, too, that some of like your live event uh, and the live work that you do is right along lines with this. Can you do this with like taking a group of people through identifying, understanding, um, just briefly, kind of what's what's the process again? If I want to sure. get enlightened to this idea, and I want to yeah. figure out what my fingerprints mean, I want to figure out how I'm encoded, what my blind spot is. Where yeah, do I? So, what's the starting so, point? For example, we had our event this past fall, and one of the things uh, everyone got when they signed in was they got their handprints done at registration, and they also received their human design chart, which we print up before the event. We, we send out a questionnaire before the event and get the data that we need and run the chart. And one of the things I did was pull aspects from the genetic code that specifically relate to money, ambition, and entrepreneurship, which is one of my favorite topics. And I linked people up who either had the same genes or they created what's known as a channel where two genes connect and create a, a dynamic for business. And I put these people together in different groups and I gave them questions to ask each other and exercises to do. And the people were blown away because they could feel it in their body. The, the significant shift, depending on who they were connecting with, what that energy actually felt like in their body. So one of my goals is to help people uh, feel their own life through their physical body because your body is actually the decision maker, not the mind. And most of the conditioning that people experience is from mental thought. You know, people have all these beliefs and these theories and these mental ideas of how to live. And that doesn't have any real bearing on what your body needs. If you actually lived according to your inner authority, you wouldn't know what your life is going to look like. You'd be going along for the ride and you would watch it unfold quite miraculously for your highest good. But we like to, we humans like to impose these belief systems. We like to have wars about these belief systems, right? People will kill each other over ideas in their head. And if you kind of wrap yourself around that idea, it's, com it's completely insane. So people are living in a place of insanity, um, trying to force fit their life to somebody else's belief system, which is propaganda. And it has no bearing on what's actually going to work for you. Because what's going to work for you is something that you have to discover through your own inner authority. So one of the things I try to help people with is to separate out what is their inner authority and what's propaganda. And this is how I describe it. Everything's propaganda unless it feels right to you. Right? So somebody might be called 
uh, like we were talking about earlier before the recording started about being called to the church and being called to uh, devote their life to God. And it feels right to them. It feels completely right to them. And they answer that call and their life really works versus someone being told that's what they have to do or else there's some kind of punishment. And that person sacrifices, maybe they want to go join the circus, right? Maybe they want to go be in Cirque du Soleil. And they're being told, no, no, we don't do that here. They're now giving up their destiny. They're giving up that part of their genetic code that is calling them forth. So ultimately, the, the real authority lives within us. And it means you take all your power back from your parents and the church and the government and looking outside yourself for the answers because only your biology can direct you. Your body is like a, a, a GPS. It's an mag- electromagnetic um, guided machine uh, that resonates at its own frequency. Um, and science has proven this. You can actually read it. You can actually, uh, there are, are different scans and what have you that will read the energetic frequency of your body and uh, it will tell you whether you're sick or you're healthy and that kind of thing. So science is very, very advanced on this front about how we're actually wired and what we're here to do. And I think the main reason people poo-poo anything is fear. Because if I know, then I can't not know. And once I know, now I'm more responsible. And if I'm responsible, I don't have anyone left to blame and I can't make excuses for why I'm not getting what I want out of life. Because the only reason people aren't getting what they want out of life is one, they've given up, or two, they just don't know. You know, they're ignorant and not even necessarily by their own choosing. They've been so conditioned. Well, if this is resonating with you, Beth, this is awesome. If you feel, if you're listening, you feel like, man, I do want to figure out what I'm aligned to do. I want to align myself to, to purposes. Uh, Beth is one of the best out there doing this. So I certainly encourage you to, to check it out, follow up with her. It's Beth.com, B-A-E-T-H.com. And then follow Beth on Facebook, Beth Davis, or Beth Davis on Instagram and Facebook at Innovative Visionary Summit. And grab a strategy call. Uh, talk to her. She's available. Believe it or not, these amazing, amazing woman is available to have a chat and figure out what your fingerprints are telling you. Beth, um, as uh, we're right in the twilight of our time together, thank you so much for coming on. I, I can't thank you enough. I really appreciate uh, just I don't know, your story and your candor and everything you shared. Um, as, uh, as we wrap up, kind of one final question, and we'll keep this brief for everyone. If you could change anything, of your whole journey of everything you did, good and bad, what would you change or would you leave it all the same? Well, I can't change it. So I have to leave it all the same. But if I could change it, I wish I had known this information in kindergarten. I would have made some very different decisions. I would have been a different first grader. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, Your decisions, (laughs) your decisions in life make you or break you, particularly your decisions around two key things, the relationships in your life, and how you make money. Those two decisions make you or break you. So you better make good ones. Surround yourself with positive, forward-thinking people. You know, like the people who reach a hand down to you and pull you up to their level. Always surround yourself with people who are more focused, more centered, more intelligent, uh, more ambitious, more giving, Put yourself right in the the seat of opportunity at all times. And really, this year especially, it's really important that people release anything toxic, the negative friends, the, the draining clients, even the relatives. You just distance yourself from, from any kind of energy that seeks to uh, diminish 
uh, your uh, desires and your goals and your dreams because it is our environment and the people in it that, that make us or break us. And that's up to us. So well, that's what I would say. Decision. We've all made a good decision for being here, listening in on this conversation. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, and subscribing to this show. Beth, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate your time, my friend. Looking forward to catching up again soon. Thanks, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Guys, make sure if you haven't already, you subscribe, rate, review the show. Make sure you follow Beth. I talked about it already. Facebook, Innovative Visionary Summit. Instagram, Beth Davis, B-A-E-T-H, and Beth.com to get a session with her. Subscribe, rate, and review. Follow me at Matt Browning. Check out my book, Firebox Principle. Check out this podcast and the other podcasts launching. You can find all that at mattbrowningpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Get out there as usual this week and crush it. See you next week. Thank you.